Welcome to Shad Speak. I'm your host, Teddy Katz. If you don't know what Shad is, the only thing to know is when Shads speak, people listen. And when you listen to Shads, you become smarter, hearing how they're trying to change the world. Maybe you could do the same. Today on Shad Speak, we're going to talk about the topic that has been front and center in 2018. The Me Too and Time's Up movements have started a lot of important but difficult conversations around sexual abuse and harassment. Dr. Alice Hahn is an instructor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive biology at Harvard Medical School. She's also a SHAD fellow who attended SHAD at Acadia University in 1997. Alice believes the time has come to reframe the discussion around violence, often against women, and call it like she says it is, a global pandemic. Alice, welcome to Shad Speak. Thank you, Teddy. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's first of all talk about Me Too and, and Time's Up and what has gone through your mind as you've seen these movements receive all the media attention they've received over the last few months. I thought to myself that it's about time that the eyes of the world are open to this massive global problem of violence against women and girls. And moving forward, just for ease, I'd like to refer to this from now on as VOG, using the first letter of each word, V-A-W-G. And I'm not sure if this is too personal, Alice, but can you tell us how this issue of VOG uh, has become something that you're so passionate about now? When I advocate for this issue, this is a question that I get asked quite often, and often with some hesitation. In fact, prepping for my TED Talk, one of the initial comments I received from colleagues was, so tell us why you're speaking about this. We feel there's something you're not telling us, what's motivating you. And there's often this implicit or explicit question, what is your personal story? So my answer is this, why is there the assumption that advocates are survivors of violence? My colleagues who study cervical cancer or HIV or preterm labor are rarely asked this question. So there doesn't seem to be any other area of health policy where advocates and researchers are automatically assumed to be survivors. When you first uh, were, were thinking about studying this, this issue and, and going de- a lot deeper into it, what was your initial reaction to doing so? Well, I can tell you the story of my journey, and I think it offers insight into some of the problems that continue to exist today. I started my OBGYN residency because I thought that maternal health worldwide was one of the areas where most work was needed around the world. For instance, too many women are dying from heavy bleeding during labor. And in residency, I explored different women's health problems. I thought addressing would be um, would, would serve to make the biggest impact in global women's health. I connected with a mentor who suggested I examine violence against women and girls. And I can tell you this, my gut reaction was that I felt hesitant to. I felt uncomfortable with the topic, to think about it deeply and to talk about it. And a part of me felt that it might not be a valid topic for me as an OBGYN to explore. I wondered if it might be more of a social problem or a legal problem rather than one that I was in, as an OBGYN was positioned to address. So nonetheless, I explored the topic and this initial hesitation rapidly evaporated. Some of the first papers that I looked at reported rates of VOG in Brazil as over 50%. 
And Brazil was a country I previously worked in and I've fallen in love with for its culture and the incredible warmth of the people. And the thought that one out of every two of the women I had passed in the streets were experiencing violence was heartbreaking. So the sheer magnitude of this problem around the world was overwhelming to me. I saw very quickly that VOG was absolutely a health problem that the medical community needs to play a critical role in addressing. So women and girls experiencing violence are at increased risk for many serious outcomes, health outcomes, including sexually transmitted infections like HIV, traumatic brain injury, and then many problems in pregnancy like premature birth, miscarriage, and fetal death. And finally, I began to notice a theme among my colleagues and among the medical community of not recognizing violence against women and girls as a health problem. So I don't think for a second that the medical community is uncaring, but what I saw was a lack of being accountable to address this problem as a medical and health problem. And what began as a personal feeling and personal experiences I had in witnessing gaps and how the health systems were responding to Vogue, this was soon corroborated by data. So I worked on a project with a team of researchers in 2014, and we found that over half of the countries in Latin America and the Caribbean had no clinical guidelines on how to appropriately respond to Vogue. So it didn't seem right to me that a problem of this magnitude and severity was not being addressed as it's needed to be. And for all of these reasons, I committed myself to help address the problem. Can I just ask you, Alice, what, how, how did you uh, commit to doing so? And if you could talk about some of, the, some of the call to action that you had around your recent TEDx talk. So as a physician, I've heard many stories from women experiencing violence. And these stories are not only from patients, but also from women I meet in social settings whether it's out at parties or in public markets or through friends. When they learn I'm a physician, they tell me intimate details about their lives and I hear stories about violence. What it shows is that women see the medical community as one that should be responding to Vogue. And this is supported by the World Health Organization, which reports that many women and girls experiencing Vogue will turn to health systems as a first and a trusted and trusted contact. So when I saw the disconnect between what response was needed from the health sector and desired from women and what level of, res of response was actually taking place, that's when I began to think about how we need to reframe and think about this problem. And what I propose is why don't we think about it as a disease? What it does, I think, is that it reframes the problem. So for one, it highlights the urgency of global commitment to address it. But not only that, it reframes as a, as a problem, in the minds of many, I think, as a problem that can, be, that can be addressed and treated through concrete interventions. And overall, my goal in introducing this idea was overwhelmingly to encourage conversation because, and increase awareness about an important problem that I see within health systems. And again, help people to see the problem in a new light. The process of, of uh, preparing for my TED Talk was a very interesting journey for me to take. Um, when I began pitching the idea and, and prepping the talk, I noted that there was a great deal of support for the idea and, it, and a great deal of acknowledgement of the importance of the issue. But I was also met with some hostility, uh, which I found interesting. I would say seeing the, the intense emotional reactions that people had 
really highlighted to me that this isn't this isn't an, an issue that is emotionally charged. People just had an emotional reaction one way or the other to it. The, people did react quite emotionally, yes, and and I would say that um, although although I was very well aware of the numbers of um, of the magnitude of this problem, one in every three women in the world experiencing intimate partner violence and or sexual violence, I was still nonetheless surprised by hearing their stories, women who opened up to me because I was preparing this talk. What are some of the stories that you've come across, Alice, uh, in your work that have been hard for you to, to put out of your mind? With a patient who who had just who had been through something traumatic and who was unable to to speak to anyone, even to look people other the health providers in the eye, uh, she came in because she had been raped. And um, she I met her uh, when I was working alongside this particular doctor in a health center. And when it came time to to be examined, she she just refused. As I, as I said, she, she didn't want to speak to anybody. She didn't want to be touched. She could barely speak or look at us. Um, and the doctor himself, he, he looked extremely uncomfortable. Um, he actually looked torn. He didn't quite know what to do. I, I feel like he knew he should examine her, but at the same time, he, he didn't want to because she didn't want to be examined. So um, what happened in the end was that he uh, decided to discharge her and to send her home without without examining her and without carrying through on a lot of the the medical steps of treatment that were needed in that situation the decision needed to be made whether she needed to be whether she needed prophylactic treatment against HIV as well um, if collecting forensic evidence would be useful um, because that that's often an important um, step to take in coordinating with the legal system um, and actually, what's been shown in the U.S. is that introducing forensically trained nurses can increase conviction rates. It also increases the number of, of cases that patients will present to the police. So strengthening the medical response has benefits outside of the medical world. Um, but yes, definitely recognizing her risk of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and a regard for her mental health, um, and, and making appropriate referrals for, for counseling would have been important as well. I, I think it was a lack of training, perhaps in knowing what the, the correct medical steps are, everything that needs to be done from a medical point of view, but also training in how to deal with these challenging situations on how to empower women um, to make them feel more comfortable during an encounter with a medical professional. Um, I think these are all some valuable things um, that can be included in, in medical training programs. And you couldn't step in because you there was a language barrier? There was a language barrier both with the patient um, and with the medical and with the doctor as well, yes. Um, I, I did try. Um, it, was, it was a really difficult situation for me to be in, um, but ultimately I wasn't able to change what happened that day. And when you take a look at the obstacles standing in the way of the kind of change that you think needs to happen, what would you say are the major obstacles? There are three that I identify as significant to addressing VOG as a health problem. As I outlined in my TED Talk, the problem of VOG is massive, it's marginalized, and it's mismanaged. So 
the first is that it's massive. One in three women worldwide experiences intimate partner violence and or sexual violence. That's a staggering number. It's over one billion people in the world. The second is that Vogue is marginalized. And as I've already alluded to, it's underfunded in, in many health budgets around the world. And number three, I consider it a mismanaged problem. And I, I draw the um, comparison to many other diseases that I've studied or health problems that I've studied in my medical training, working hours to understand these problems and to learn how to treat them properly. But like many hundreds and thousands of medical students or nursing students or midwifery students, I, um, I graduated with no formal training on how to respond. So I would say that those are some of the significant challenges. With all the discussion that we've seen in the last few months, like we started out talking about around sexual abuse, sexual harassment, how optimistic are you, Alice, that we might be seeing some kind of shift in our thinking and, and in our and how we're dealing with these kinds of issues? The past few months, I think, have been um, incredible. We've seen many watershed moments and the force that the movements of Me Too and Time's Up, Time Magazine's Person of the Year, and even Larry Nasser's recent harsh sentencing for sexually abusing more than 265 female athletes, I think have been incredible. These movements are continuing to build momentum. And I think a shift have been, has been significant in certain pockets of the world. So Hollywood and the American gymnastics culture will never be the same again. But um, despite my optimism for the attention that these movements are receiving, one thought I have about them is that they are focused mainly on women with privilege and status. So we are hearing about Weinstein from Hollywood actresses, and we hear the voices of Olympian gymnasts. But we also need to call attention to the voices of women and girls who do not have privilege, wealth, nor status. Women and girls that are living in all corners of the world, in all cities, towns, and villages, who speak all languages and come from all cultures, we need to show that their stories and voices matter. And I hope that this is what we're moving towards. Also, there are many regions in the world that still do not recognize Vogue as a problem. For instance, they don't have any laws around domestic violence. So in this sense, stigma, shame, and fear are still silencing countless women and girls worldwide. I think the tides are turning, um, and this is very exciting. I think we need to keep riding that wave that is broken and we need to reach all regions of the world to start conversations about changing cultural norms that allow Vogue to spread. And what can the Shad community do to help? Well, first of all, Teddy, providing me with this platform to help raise awareness of this issue is greatly appreciated. Thank you again for the opportunity. And I do hope that the audience feels motivated to contribute to addressing this issue. Scientific studies have shown that individual behavior can have a profound societal impact. So I would ask members of the Shad community and beyond to commit to taking action in their daily lives. If a man witnesses locker room talk that's degrading to women, then, then call it out. If a boy sees his friend harassing a girl at a party, then call it out. Just keep talking about it. I think the more conversations we have, um, the better we'll all be. Another way that those who want to help would be, um, might consider would be making a donation to a group that's working to address violence against women. There are many excellent organizations and um, I'll offer just, just a few. 
the UN trust fund to end violence against women would be one. Raising Voices is another one. It's a nonprofit organization that's based in Rwanda, or sorry, in Uganda, that works to end violence against women. And I'd also ask that any SHAD alumna and an alumnus who works in the healthcare sector to look around with a critical eye and ask if the organization you're working within has policies and guidelines to train health providers to respond to VOG. Alice, thanks for taking the time today and sharing such such uh, your, such important insight into into such an important topic. It's been my pleasure, uh, Teddy. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye now. Bye bye. Alice Hahn is an instructor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive biology at Harvard Medical School. Alice is also a medical doctor at the Dymock Community Health Center, where she provides care to the underserved women within Boston. She also teaches at the University of Toronto. One slight clarification from my discussion with Alice, you heard Alice talk about the numbers. It's actually one in three women around the world who experience the two most common forms of VOG, physical or sexual intimate partner violence or non-partner sexual abuse. That's why Alice believes we all need to play a role to address what she calls a pandemic. For more information, you can watch Dr. Alice Hahn's TEDx talk on YouTube. It's called Violence Against Women and Girls. Let's reframe this pandemic. That's our show for this week. Please contact me, teddy at shad.ca, if you have an idea or topic for an upcoming podcast. Please go to shad.ca slash podcast to hear all of our podcast episodes now also available on iTunes. Join us again for another edition of Shad Speak. Bye for now.